Hello, and welcome to another episode from the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights for emerging startup ecosystems all around the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited to be partnering with Multimedia Live to bring you this special installment of the show. Hope you enjoy. This idea of being able to unpack centralized finance, banking, insurance, all the activities that you would see today in the financial system, you know, they have some intermediary. They then now sort of shift that onto the blockchain where the protocol becomes the intermediary. Welcome back to another episode of the Global Startup Movement. We were off last week. I hope you all had a great week and uh, spent some time out in the sun, out in nature. And this week we are back to unpack at least what seems like the end of crypto winter and the start of spring. We've seen a lot of movement over the past couple of weeks. There are a couple categories that it seems like have matured since the last bull run. And we are joined by Akeen Sawyer. He's been in the blockchain and cryptocurrency game for a long time. He's been operating in markets across Africa here in the U.S. And he is currently the Africa lead for Decred, which is one of the OG DeFi platforms in the crypto game. Akeen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And so Akeen, you've had now more than a decade of investing in and working with different uh, fintech and mobile money companies in West Africa, uh, different cryptocurrency projects. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what the past couple of years have looked like for you, uh, and then we will dive right into DeFi and what's going on in that whole ecosystem. For probably the last year, I've been focused a lot working with Decred, doing PR, marketing, and also leading efforts across Africa. So heavily focused on governance and focused on what it takes to sort of run a decentralized network. More recently, I've been spending a lot of time or good amount of time in the DeFi space, just trying to sort of grasp what's happening in the space, particularly over the last couple of months. There's been a lot of acceleration of interest. It's probably one of the more active areas of crypto currently. So there are a lot of eyes looking at DeFi. And so I've been also spending quite a bit of time there. And it seems like there's a couple of different segments within the broader umbrella of DeFi that are emerging so can you tell us a little bit about like what the governance structure of Decred is and what category it sits in? So Decred is a store of value fundamentally, right? And you know, similar to Bitcoin, the idea is to have in a secure layer where value can be stored and the chain is pretty secure. Recently, we've seen some, you know, Ethereum Classic, there was a, a double spend and basically the, you know, the security layer basically was breached. So yeah, Decred, you know, we really pride ourselves on making sure that it's a secure network. You know, we have a a hybrid solution that makes it extra secure. So it's not just proof of work, it's also proof of stake layer. Got it. Makes sense. And so what it looks like to me in terms of the segments within the whole DeFi ecosystem that are really emerging are a lot of decentralized exchanges that are leveraging Ethereum, a lot of market makers, a lot of money markets and derivatives now are emerging. Yep. Do you have a specific focus area or like what, where would you be most excited at in terms of all the different segments you see brewing? Yeah. So I guess maybe we should step back a little bit and maybe put some definition around, you know, at least my understanding of what DeFi is, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's a short form of decentralized finance. I mean, this idea of being able to unpack centralized finance, banking, insurance, 
all the activities that you would see today in the financial system, you know, they have some intermediary that then now sort of shift that onto the blockchain where the protocol becomes the intermediary, right? So basically, if we're asked today in a bank, if you're you know part of a commercial bank, you would put deposits in as a customer that holds in custody your funds, and then the bank loans out that money, right, to folks who are running businesses. And the majority, if not all the profits from those transactions are kept by the bank, right, to pay their staff, to pay their bonuses and stuff like that. With decentralized finance, you can essentially be, you know, the LP, right? You can basically, as an individual, you can put up collateral that a protocol lends out to third parties who want to borrow that collateral, and you get the majority of the return and the interest, right? So it's this idea now that you don't necessarily have to have this bank in between those transactions. Individuals can basically put up collateral, people can borrow, um, and I think mostly today it's still collateralized loans, right? So people put up some collateral to be able to borrow um, some other token and then, you know, ideally pay it back. And so whoever is putting up that that cash or those loans gets, you know, the return. Basically today, like there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of exchanges like DEXs where people can put up collateral, essentially like market makers, and, you know, you lend that and you get a return based on the transactions fees on the platform. And so we have platforms like Uniswap, Kyber, um, that kind of serve that purpose. So you have just exchanges, right? People just, you know, trying to swap one token for the next and it pays out transactions fees to the folks who are putting up, you know, that liquidity um, so that people can make those exchanges. And so beyond that, you also have these lending protocols, which, you know, function more like banks where people can borrow um, and pay interest on, um, collateral they're borrowing that other people are putting up. And then beyond that, you have derivatives platforms like synthetics, where you can actually trade derivatives of stocks, derivatives of other cryptocurrencies, commodities, just about anything they can sort of create a price for. Um, um, you know, or you can get a price for, you can, you can kind of create a derivative for and trade. And then you have insurance, um, so there's you know, Nexus Mutual, which is basically an insurance protocol where you can actually buy insurance against some of these risk positions you might be taking and insure against losses, insure against, you know, I don't know, vulnerabilities in the platform or, or losses that might come from technical vulnerabilities. And I think the last category, which I think is probably one of the most important, is sort of like the Oracle space with Chainlink being like, you know, the by far the, the, the leader in the space. And I think probably the only platform that has shown, you know, product market fit and, you know, has customers and is growing pretty quickly. And what Oracles pretty much do is they're sort of like the underlying security layer um, of the DeFi space. You know, they, they ensure that information that triggers these smart contracts are accurate, secure, and are able to, at, at the right time, you know, trigger these smart contracts and and execute them correctly. And so when you think about all the value that's flowing through the DeFi space, I think, you know, total value locked in a DeFi space is over $4 billion. Um, I think the vast majority of that value is being secured currently by Chainlink. And when you have all that value at risk, you want to make sure that um, smart contracts are triggered correctly, right? So if you, if you have, you know, a two-sided bet, you want to make sure that once 
the inform- you know the information that's required to trigger that transaction is accurate and and cannot be either you know played around with or or, or fudged and and so you have a protocol like Chainlink that ensures that you know assures that so that's how I kind of think about DeFi space in the sort of like the large categories that currently exist today. I know you you operate a lot specifically in the African and West African markets. What aspects of DeFi specifically over there do you think is going to have the biggest impact, whether it's governance or currency valuation, stores of value, whatever it may be? I think across Africa, you still, and, and let's sort of be clear, I think the DeFi space is still really, really small, right? So the vast majority of people, I don't, I don't really think there's a big retail marketplace in DeFi space. Most of the people who are participating are folks who have been in the crypto space for a while. And, you know, have a lot of understanding, have insights and are kind of now tinkering with these new protocols. Um, you know, and so as, you know, I don't know. I think I'll be surprised if you have more than 10 to 20,000 people globally who are actually actively in the DeFi space and farming yield and doing all those activities. Um, so I think in Africa, it's still sort of like, you know, it's still sort of like, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value or medium of exchange, right? To terminate global transactions where a local currency just would not suffice. Um, you probably have some individuals, I'm sure, who are also playing in the DeFi space. But I, I don't think DeFi, similar to the way it is just about everywhere else, I don't think there's a lot of retail recognition of what DeFi is um, currently. But I think eventually what will happen is, you know, people will realize that it's a just it's just a much more superior financial tool. Like the fact that it's permissionless, you know, if you think about a lot of African consumers, they don't necessarily have access to global equities or commodities markets, right? So they're not, you know, in large en masse, they're not trading stocks or they're not, you know, storing value in dollars and, you know, running these transactions or getting yield. I think eventually, you know, as more and more on-ramps, I think we already have quite a few on-ramps being built, but as like consumer-specific tools are built that make it very user-friendly to use, I think you'll see more and more people who are basically getting out of their local currencies, getting into, you know, stable coins or Bitcoin or, you know, Chainlink and custodying those funds to be able to then play in the DeFi space because there is a return and they're getting a yield. Um, but, I, but I still think it's pretty early and a lot of those sort of user-friendly consumer interfaces are still haven't been built yet. Um, so we're still probably a couple of years away from, I think, sort of like a big retail push into the space. So let me ask you this. The thing about stable coins, it's only as stable as the asset or equation that it's actually tied to. And so stable coins that are that might be tied to the US dollar, the euro, or a certain you know, currency, that doesn't necessarily mean it. it's stable. What, what do you think is most important to democratize access to stores of value to? Is it gold, silver? Like what, what's your... Is it just Bitcoin? What, what are your thoughts on that? So I think the most important thing is to have choice, right? And have options, right? I think more and more today in the, in the crypto space, we're seeing bridges being built across different chains, right? So in the DeFi space, you can put up chain, you can put on Link as a collateral, you can put up Bitcoin, you can put up Ethereum, you can put up, you know, almost just about any currency out there um, that has some sort of, you know, mass um, appeal or, you know, has reached some level of critical mass and you can put it up as collateral, right? So what people would typically do would put up like Bitcoin, for example. So for example, you have a protocol like um, the REN protocol, which basically allows you to to bring Bitcoin onto Ethereum in a trustless way. 
So I can hold my Bitcoin, right? I can convert it to be Ren, convert it to Ren BTC, bring it onto the Ethereum network, um, you know, launch it into Compound or one of these other protocols. Go borrow Dai, which is a stable coin, a permissionless stable coin, and I can I can then use that Dai to get a yield, right? So I can put that Dai as collateral into a platform. People borrow borrow that, and I get a return, right? A yield on that. And in this example, I still have exposure to the upside and downside potentially of Bitcoin if I'm lodging Bitcoin because I'm still I still hold custody of my Bitcoin, right? So for someone who says, look, you know, I'm banked in with Bitcoin, that's my coin. I think it, the value is going to grow over the long term. If they want to get a yield on that collateral without losing any upside in terms of price appreciation, they can effectively just do that. Um, they can still hold custody of the Bitcoin. You know, go mint, die against it, and lend that out. Um, so I think you know you can do that with Link. You can do that with Ethereum. You can do that with um, I think on on Rent Protocol. You can do that with Zcash. Um, so I think over time, more and more coins will be available for people to basically have the choice to pick and select what their store of value is, um, but also then figure out ways to lend that out put it up as collateral and get a yield against it. Um, so I think, you know, over, over the long term, it, people will just have choice. They'll be able to determine what they want to hold, what they want to hold as collateral and and how they want to sort of, you know, they'll have multiple options on how to monetize that and get a yield on that, on that store. Hmm. I think that during this next bull run, we're going to see a couple different crypto-related IPOs, maybe Coinbase, maybe Kraken as well. Right. But I think after you see that, that's when banks and more traditional players are going to start, I think, to interact more in crypto. I mean, you know, so, someone like TD Ameritrade is already you know, leveraging um, or, or allowing for Bitcoin. And I think other banks are already starting to work with Ethereum or Ripple. When it comes to the adoption in Africa, I think it's going to be led more so by mobile money players. What are your thoughts on kind of the traditional, whether it's it, maybe it's the banks or it's the mobile money players in Africa that are the first ones to actually come into the space and adopt it? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I feel, I still, I mean, the jury's still out. I still feel that it'll be independent players that come into the space that will especially in the in the context of Africa that will have any meaningful dent into the crypto space right so i think you, you have platforms like bycoins or i mean binance is in africa um bundle is a new app um, um that's that's been released recently I, I think those are the platforms that where people are already buying and selling bitcoin i think those are the platforms that will create ways for people to not just buy and sell bitcoin and custody it but also like create these bridges into lending platforms. So there'll be a time when you can go into buy coins or you can go into bundle and you can buy Bitcoin, but you can also just get interest on your Bitcoin for holding it there. Right. And in the back end, you know, they'll do all, they'll jump through all the hoops of maybe leveraging Ren Bridge to convert that Bitcoin to Ren BTC, then launching it into, you know, a platform like Curve or Compound and getting interest on it. And for the user, all they're seeing is they're holding Bitcoin and they're getting some interest, right? They're getting some monthly interest, daily, weekly, whatever the whatever it is on, on, their, on their coins. I think it's those platforms that have already attracted users who are buying and selling crypto. Those are the platforms that I think will build out 
other financial services um, that would make that relationship stickier and kind of attract more users. I really don't think you know the banks um, on the continent are going to take a lead in any way. I think it's just they're just going to be left out. Um, and even the and even the you know the telcos as well. I think it's. I just I, I feel like you know there oh, some of the challenges for them will be regulation. Right, there will be this regulatory fear of them getting into the space, and probably too late before they realize or the regulatory framework is clear as to what the roles can be. Um, and I just think it's also an issue of just understanding, right? I think a lot of these old institutions, incumbents, don't really understand what's going on in crypto, right? Um, if, if we think that the financial institutions in the West are behind, like in Africa, they're way behind. Um, and I think it's going to be driven by those who are in the tech space who are already building tools and solutions. Um, those are the folks that I think are going to carry things forward. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And once I think over time, as people see interest rates that people are getting in the DeFi crypto, you know, blockchain space versus their cash just sitting in a bank, probably inflating. Uh, I think that people are going to start to come over, especially now that, you know, there's integration into PayPal, there's better integration into bank accounts. Right. I think the on-ramps have fully matured. Or, or or almost fully matured, at least here in the West and certainly in China, um, where it seems like they're way ahead from both a regulatory and a kind of cryptocurrency ecosystem state. But yeah, any, anything else we didn't cover that, that you want to touch on? No, I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier on, but Decred is also hopefully weeks or at least a couple of months away from releasing its, its DEX, centralized exchange. It's been in the works for a while. And, you know, you know, one thing I probably didn't mention earlier on is I think there are a lot of so-called decentralized exchanges out there that still have some level of an intermediary that's not fully permissionless. You know, there's someone in the middle extracting rents. And, and so Decred has been working on a fully decentralized exchange that's permissionless. You know, anyone can come on and swap you know, currencies and there's really no middleman and no intermediary in the, in, um, in, in the middle of it. And so I think that that would be an interesting you know, I think the timing is very interesting for Decred to come into this space and you know release a DEX and sort of you know have an additional tool to get into the um, into the DeFi space and and I think with Decred as a solid store of value, it's also an opportunity for you know DCR to also be used and leveraged as collateral um, and and for other tokens as well, other tokens that are not currently being used. You know, having a way to basically swap from your token of choice to another. Um, and get into the space, or you know, it will be really interesting. So, I think that's something folks should look out for, and I think you know, Decred is going to make a big splash in the space, you know, really soon. Awesome. Well, Akin Sawyer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot.